Divvy Up. It's time for another episode of the Purely Pigskin Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Noyd, and welcome to episode 21. We are looking back, week 12 now in the books, looking ahead to week 13, but we got a lot to talk about this week, and I'm pleased as punch to have my buddy back on the show, Eric Radicek. Eric's been with us a few times already this season. He'll be with us for two more episodes here. Eric, how's it going, my friend? Hey, buddy. Thanks for having me back. I love being on the show. I still have no idea why you keep bringing me back, of all people. But uh, hey, I'll take it. I'm glad to be here. Hey, we're swimming right now. You and I are talking a lot of football. And, of course, at the Thanksgiving, I, I got to say, because this was so cool, you, me, and uh, Gino got together to watch the Thanksgiving Day games together. We all made sure that we had the day off so that we could get together just to watch these games, which I think is really cool. Yeah, man, we got to make that an annual tradition. Although we're Canadian, I think you've probably said that before on the on the podcast here, but although we're Canadian, it's kind of nice to celebrate with our American friends down there. And, you know, American Thanksgiving has always been a day where, let's be honest, I hope none of my former employers are listening in here, but you're kind of paying attention to football, even if you're at work. And uh, so this just saves the the formality of it. And let's just get together and watch some damn football and and not have to worry about, uh, you know, pissing the boss off at work. Yeah, well, as, as long as I can remember, I've always made the time to just make sure that I could watch the Thanksgiving Day games. I've been watching them since they were doubleheaders before they went to triple headers. I've been watching the Lions lose on Thanksgiving for like 20 years. <laughs> tradition, tradition. <laughs> it's, it's tradition. I remember Peyton Manning throwing six touchdown passes on the Lions in the first half of a game. Oh, man. Like just some classic, classic moments. I put something up on the Facebook page uh, of the, the top 50 plays from Thanksgiving uh, you had the, the, the Dolphins-Cowboys game with Leon Lett touching the football and giving, the, giving it back to the Dolphins, who then kicked the game-winning field goal. That was the number one moment. Tons of great Barry Sanders moments uh, for the Lions, even though they lost a lot. Man, so much fun, and, and I agree. Like we we got to make it a tradition. It's so much fun. Oh, it, it is a tradition now. We're, we, dec- we decree right here on November the 30th, 2021, next year will be a vacation day again and every year thereafter. This is happening. We're making this happen. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, let's get to some of the results. Well, let's get to all the results. And before we, we break down the games, I ran a little contest on the Facebook page asking people to vote. Uh, for who they thought was going to win each game. Of course, we had the Bears-Lions at 12-30, Raiders-Cowboys, and then Bills-Saints. I said, for anyone who goes 3-0, and I will give them a shout-out on the podcast. Now, unfortunately, I, I don't think some guys quite got the memo. A couple of guys voted for two of the games, but not all three. So we didn't have any pure 3-0 and winners, but we did have two guys that picked two games correctly. One was Chris Ledbetter, who picked the Bears and the Saints to win. And the other was Scott Shanahan, who took the Bears and the Raiders to win. So congrats to them. They are the winners of uh, our little contest there. Way to go, guys. I personally was 0 for 3, but with some explanation. 
but we'll get into that as we go through the games. How did you do on your predictions? Well, I got to say, I didn't fare all that much better, Pete. I went one for three on my predictions. And yeah, just I picked an upset there with the Saints beating uh, Buffalo. They couldn't get it done at home. I had Chicago over Detroit. That one came through for me. But Dallas, the surprising letdown game against Las Vegas, that one really shocked me. Yeah. And again, lots to, lots to talk about. But let's start with that Bears-Lions game. A close one. The Bears came away with it 16-14. They scored the only points of the fourth quarter. Uh, that late field goal to seal it that won them the game. So another heartbreaking loss for the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving Day. What, what were your takeaways from this game? Well, my takeaways are the coaching staff in Detroit sucks. I mean, geez, what an ugly game. And they had the game. They had Chicago against the ropes. It was third down. The coaching staff calls back-to-back timeouts. They get penalized. The third down turns into a first and goal. Chicago scores game, set, match. I mean, it's just a brutal way to end a game for Detroit, who's fighting to get their first win of the season here in week 12. Yeah, I have to agree. You know, as much as I like Dan Campbell and, and his, you know, his attitude and his his skills, I, I do believe that Dan Campbell is a great motivational coach, uh, you know, but he's really lacking its showing in some of the other areas, especially in the X's and O's. Of course, he took over the play calling from Anthony Lynn, the offensive coordinator who was up until last year, the head coach of the LA Chargers. But since he's taken over, somehow this Lions offense has gone from bad to worse. And in my opinion, Campbell did the one thing that he should not have done uh, on Thursday in this game, and that was play it safe. The Lions got out to the early lead, and that, you know, it it almost worked against their favor because it gave them something to hold on to, something to protect. And from that point on, the play calling was just so ultra-conservative that the Bears were just teeing off and, and stuffing them in the run game. They were looking for short passes on every single passing down. And the Lions just, their offense was completely vanilla. Of course, they weren't helped by penalties either. They had on two different occasions, get this, Eric, two different occasions in that game, the Lions took consecutive penalties on three straight plays. And in both cases, they ended up in third and 32 situations. And you know what they did in those situations, both on second and long and third and long? They either ran the ball or passed uh, super short, a screen pass, a lot of passes behind the line of scrimmage. They were getting booed by their own fans in a competitive game. This was the game where if you're Dan Campbell, you want to throw everything, uh, including the kitchen sink. You want to pull out your trick plays. You want to go for a deep bomb down the field when the other team's not expecting it. You want to send those fans home happy with the first and maybe only win you'll have this year. And instead, they played uninspired, boring football, and in the end, it cost them. Yeah, that's a good point. And let's not forget, this team also had a tie. I think that was a, yeah, it was an overtime tie, and I can't remember who they played against. But a couple of heartbreakers, the Steelers, that's right, a couple of heartbreakers this season, games that they really could have had. And, you know, another thing I'll say is losing DeAndre Swift, um, 
in this game here, not having him available. I think that really hurt as well. He went down early. And yeah, Jamal Williams is a good player. I like the player, but he's not DeAndre Swift. And so even if you're going conservative, you know, like Campbell was doing in that game, if you're giving those conservative touches to a guy like DeAndre Swift that can break a run from any point in the field and, and make it a touchdown, uh, that still might have worked for you. But yeah, with the players that you had in there, I agree with you. I think you had to take a little bit more of a risk. What have you got to lose at this point? You've got only got to gain here, not anything to lose at all. So poor decision making there. And then on the other side of the ball, you know, with Chicago, it's a lost year, even despite the win here. I mean, Chicago, the future's bright with Justin Fields. I think he is going to be a franchise type of quarterback. Not sure that the coaching staff is going to be around for that uh, career of Justin Fields, uh, just given the struggles that Nagy's had in the first few years of his career here in Chicago. But I'm excited for what that team can be with Darnell Mooney and some of the other young pieces they have on that squad. Yeah, uh, this season is is over for both of these teams. Uh, Nagy, there was rumors, of course, before the game that Nagy was going to be fired after the game, uh, which were rubbished by uh, the Bears brass. Uh, however, uh, we talked about it, Zach and I, a bit on the podcast last week. Time is uh, time's running out on Matt Nagy's uh, era, the Matt Nagy era in, in Chicago, I think. So it's only a matter of time there. Let's move on to the second of the doubleheaders there. Another close game, uh, the Raiders and the Cowboys in Dallas. And the, it was the Raiders coming up with the overtime win, 36-33 to over the Cowboys. Your thoughts on that one? Well, my initial thoughts were shock. I mean, I thought for sure the Cowboys were going to walk all over the Raiders. I mean, the Cowboys defense has been pretty good this year, I thought, at home. And with Dak Prescott being a couple weeks back off of injury, um, you know, not having the receivers in, missing Amari Cooper and uh, and CeeDee Lamb was tough. But you know what? They still managed to throw the ball with both Wilson and Gallup getting over 100 yards through the air. The piece that was missing for me was their ability to just kill the clock with the run game, um, Ezekiel Elliott had nine carries for 25 yards. Tony Pollard had 10 carries, 36 yards. Not exactly um, inspiring numbers from the run game, what is supposed to be one of the best offensive lines and run games in football. And it, it seems to be that, you know, Zeke, there's been a lot of rumors, conflicting reports over this past couple of weeks about Ezekiel Elliott. And you know, there was a report out there that they were going to try to limit him. They were, they might even rest him for a little bit, and we don't know what that means exactly. Of course, Jerry Jones came out and uh, kind of poo-pooed those rumors and said, no, we're going to ride Zeke. And I think the latest comment is he's going to get a, a full workload uh, on this Thursday night football game coming up. But we got to see it. we got to see Zeke. Maybe he does need that week or two off. He's got to get back to form. And if he can't get there, you've got Tony Pollard, who's a younger um, running back with a lot less mileage. Maybe it's time to see what he can do. Yeah, Pollard's been absolutely fantastic for the Cowboys this year. And of course, he ran a kickoff back for a touchdown. I don't know if you were there for that when we were watching, but uh, we were we had just been talking about how there's no kickoff returns for touchdowns anymore. And then he runs one back, and I was like, oh man, Eric missed it. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, he's he's explosive. Uh, ultimately, he's a he's he's great for the team. He's great for Ezekiel Elliott uh, because you need to be able to rest and, and, uh, and Zeke might need that. But I think the key for me in this game was that Dallas was playing from behind right from the get go. The, the uh, Raiders got off to a hot start. And really from that point on, 
the Cowboys were chasing the game, trying to stay in it, trying to come back. You know, if Pollard didn't run that one back for a touchdown when he did in the fourth quarter, you know, that game would have really been out of reach for them. So he really kept them in the game with that effort. And uh, and then, of course, you had all the pass interference penalties. Anthony Brown is going to be a bit of a scapegoat here for the Cowboys. And, you know, I'm not sure it's all on him, but at the end of the day, he took four pass interference penalties. Uh, most of them were on big chunk plays in the end zone that put the Raiders on the one-yard line. And, of course, the worst worst of all was the one in overtime that set the Raiders up for the game-winning field goal. So Anthony Brown had a, a really a, a day to remember Sorry, a day to forget in this one. And I don't know that it's going to hurt the Cowboys because they're still atop the NFC East. And I don't know if anyone else is consistent enough to to come catch them. But uh, for the Raiders, that's a huge win. It keeps them in the AFC wildcard race. And and, uh, we'll see how things play out from here. Yeah, I don't think the Cowboys can afford to sit, you know, rest on their laurels here because Washington's only a couple games behind. And you know, it's one of those teams where coming into the year, we had high expectations for what Washington could be. Of course, the defensive unit kind of broke down. Uh, and now the latest news here with uh, Chase uh, missing the rest of the year, obviously, is a critical blow uh, to that team. But you know what? I'm looking at the calendar here and I see December the 12th, Cowboys versus Washington. And I got that one circled in my calendar because it's in Washington. It's going to be a cold weather game. I wonder if this divisional race is not quite over yet. It is possible. And in fact, they have not played each other yet. So they they actually play each other two games in three weeks. Definitely Washington has got to be smelling the lead, even though they are sub 500 right now. Absolutely. I cannot wait for that game. Yeah. Well, and then we had the final game, which was not much of a game at all. Uh, The Bills going down to New Orleans and uh, laying it on the Saints, 31 to 6. I mean... I don't know. I don't, there's not much to say about this one. I think Buffalo, in, in the end, really needed a game like this to get back on track. Uh, they've been sliding recently, not been very consistent. They've been exposed in certain areas. I thought the Saints would put up more of a fight against them, but they did not at the end of the day. And so this is a big win for the Bills. Yeah, I think um, I actually predicted, as I said off the top, that the Saints would win the game. I thought they could pull it out, you know, being the home team and with the Bills coming in, as you kind of said, hobbled coming into the game, not playing their best football, but it just wasn't to be. And, you know, the question now turns to the Saints quarterback situation and what does that look like going forward? The rumor is that Taysom Hill might take the reins. Uh, Of course, uh, coach won't confirm that. I think the latest there is uh, Taysom Hill's dealing with some plantar fasciitis and they're going to see how he looks after the next practice. Probably coach speak. My guess is they've probably already made a decision. We just don't get to hear it just yet which you know what if you if you got a guy like Taysom Hill that is such a difficult guy to game plan for I mean if you're talking about the difference between a more traditional pocket passer like Trevor Trevor Simeon and then adjusting to uh, a matchup against a guy like Taysom Hill that's a totally different look for a defense so if I were Peyton I'd be doing the exact same thing let's play some mind games here heading into their uh, next week matchup which coincidentally against those Cowboys yeah, and I, you know, I narrowly missed out on the Lions pick. I narrowly missed out on the Cowboys pick, and I only took the Saints because I, I needed to show some uh, difference of opinion with Zach. And so I told him I was going to disagree with whoever he took. He took the Bills, so I made a case for the Saints that you know because the Bills had suffered under some of the more potent running attacks in the NFL this year, 
that Alvin Kamara and uh, Mark Ingram would chew them up and the Saints would grind out a win. But the Saints were without both of those guys, uh, as well yeah. as Winston and Michael Thomas, who's they've been out, who's been out the whole year. So they were really struggling. They were without their right tackle, uh, Mike Ramzik, who's the the top paid right tackle in the entire NFL. So a lot of key guys missing for them, and uh, they were exposed. You have to say by the Bills in this one. Absolutely. Let's move into some of the more notable results from the Sunday games. Why don't we start with uh, the Bengals and the Steelers? Uh, an AFC North battle. One of those games you got to have, and you know you never know how these things are going to turn out. You get some of them are quite defensive uh, in nature, like the Bears-Lions. Uh, other times they're much more offensive. But in this one, the Bengals just rounded on the Steelers. Yeah, and you know, I, I'm starting to really wonder, and this probably isn't even a hot take at all, but I just think Ben might be washed at this point. And in years past, not only did you have Ben Roethlisberger and that high-powered Pittsburgh offense, you know, the killer bees, but you also had a great defense most years. And that's what we expected coming into this year. And it just hasn't been the case. Right now, they actually are tied for the league. I should say the division lead in points against. And I mean that in the reverse way. So they're poor on the defensive end, allowing 267 points, which trivia question just puts you on the spot completely here. Which other team in the division do you think has given up uh, 267 points along with the Steelers in the AFC North? Oh, boy. Let me go with the Ravens. It's the Cleveland Browns. Oh, I knew it wasn't going to be the Bengals. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's the Cleveland Browns. So back to Pittsburgh, I just think, yeah, I think they might be coming to an end here with Ben Roethlisberger's uh, era, era in Pittsburgh. And on the other side of the ball, you've got an emerging team that looks poised to take the next step. Uh, They've stuttered a couple times so far this year, losing games that we've expected they would win. And maybe this isn't the year, but I think they're going to give Baltimore a run for their money atop the division. They're just an electric team, and they're playing well on both sides of the ball, is Cincinnati. Yeah, they've, they've got so much talent on the offensive side of the ball. And their defense, as it turns out, was really underrated going into the season. They really have something to prove this year. We've talked on the podcast a fair bit about the similarities between the AFC North and the NFC West. And specifically, this is Cincinnati Bengals and the Arizona Cardinals. And this was a statement game for the Bengals, uh, who have now won uh, three in a row against the Steelers. That's the first time in over 30 years that they've done that. So you talk about the tide turning in this division a little, and yeah, There are a lot of question marks about the future of the Pittsburgh Steelers. You mentioned Ben Roethlisberger and the irony of the situation. A few years ago, Ben Roethlisberger was talking about, oh, I might retire. I might not keep playing. And, you know, sometimes he says these things to kind of get attention. And then all of a sudden you heard this rumor out of Pittsburgh that they might buy a quarterback in the draft. And he's like, oh, I'm not retiring. (laughs) But, you know, this, this time it might be out of his hands because he's not seemingly able to produce at least consistently he had a good game last week against the chargers but those have been few and far between for him this year and you know they don't really have anyone in the pipeline you know mason rudolph in the time that he's had has not shown much of anything and uh, the quarterback class in this year's draft isn't supposed to be particularly strong so you know the steelers themselves are still at 500 they're five and five so it's not even like they're going to have a top 10 pick at least uh, the way they're going So I think there's a lot of question marks for Pittsburgh, 
moving forward. And and we've we've heard about this. You know, first it was the Browns kind of rising up. It was always Ravens Steelers, Ravens Steelers, Steelers Ravens. Whatever order you put those two in, those were the two that were fighting for the division. Then Cleveland rose to prominence. Now you've got the Bengals getting there too. And I think you do have to wonder if the Steelers are due for some lean years. Yeah, I think it might be time to look for that quarterback. And you're right, you know, this not being the strongest draft class of quarterback, you know, maybe this isn't the year to kind of blow it up. But we'll see if Ben even wants to come back next year. Like you said, I mean, there's been years past where he's decided, you know, he's not sure about the following season. So given the uh, struggles that they've faced this year and the um, lack of productivity from Ben, let's see, you know, either side wants to continue this relationship heading into uh, 2022. In other action, we had the Tampa Bay Bucks getting a W in Indianapolis, although it was a close one, 38-31. I did think this was going to be a contest because I like the Colts. I just like the way they play football. They, they're they always in games. They never just get blown out. So I, I thought that they would give the Bucks a game, and, and sure enough, they did. And they really had uh, the Bucks on the ropes a little there. They were up at halftime. Uh, they had the lead in the second half. But ultimately, the Bucks came back. All, you know, Leonard Fournette, four touchdowns. What can you say about that effort? Playoff Lenny, baby. Playoff Lenny. It looks like the the Bucks are gearing up. They're really, to me, they seem to be changing their style of football. You know, earlier on in the year, it was look look what we can do. You know, and they're firing off. Everybody's getting a touchdown. Everybody's getting you know up to a hundred, almost a hundred yards receiving per game. All the receivers and all that. Lately, it's been a lot more Leonard Fournette, and I'm sure there it's more than just showing off. But I think they're wanting to make sure that they are ready as a team for anything come playoffs absolutely and you know that's what happens come playoff times is those is those yards are harder to get and you need to have that physical part of your game and you know there's a lot of debate of you know how important the run is but i do think the run is important and not just for the production that it you know you get out of it but also for making a statement to the defense really pounding the rock hurting those bodies you know put put lay the uh, the hurt on these guys it's almost like a boxing match when you you know you're in there and you're you're taking those early body shots the reason you're doing it is you're not looking for the knockout blow early you're setting the stage later you're you're tiring that guy out you're tiring that team out so that you can uh, land the haymaker the knockout punch late in the game and so i do think it's important i i think we're seeing that a bit of a retooling happening there and leonard fournette's leading the way but what year is this man this feels like the patriots all over again rob gronkowski seven catches for 123 yards what the i mean does, does these guys ever stop being good at football what age are they going to reach when that happens yeah, Gronk is another certain Hall of Famer at some point, you know, when he when he finally does hang him up for good. But uh, what did you think about the the Colts strategy? You know, it's a, it's a popular strategy against the Bucks that they weren't really trying to run the football. You know, Jonathan Taylor got a lot of – he only ran the ball 16 times for 83 yards. A lot of that came later in the game. And Frank Reich admitted that the game plan was to be pass-heavy. Bruce Arians said after the game that I don't care who you are, you don't run on our football team. You don't run on our defense. What do you think of that strategy? Do you think that that's 
what teams should be doing and targeting the pass because the Bucks are so strong in the run, or should should they stick with the run and, and try to forge something from that aspect of the game? Well, first of all, I did hear that Arians quote. I mean, what what a uh, what an interesting guy to hear in some of these press conferences. That guy is he's he certainly funny. is a brash one. Oh my goodness! <laughs> did you hear the quote with Vita Vea? Did you see Vita Vea lost a tooth in that game? Oh, I did. I saw the clip on that. You saw the clip? We, you saw we should put that into the Did You See That segment yeah. that we debuted. Yeah, absolutely. Because that was quite something. Yeah, he goes, uh, somebody asked him, one of the reporters goes, uh, hey, how's Vita Vea? Is he okay? You know, he, I heard he lost a tooth. He goes, I don't care. He's got 30 more of those. <laughs> or something <laughs> like that, right? Like, what What a guy. But anyway, to your question. So Indianapolis, should they have got away from the run game? I think for a lot of teams in the league, tacking through the air against the, the Bucks is a good idea because they are prone to giving up the big play. But you've got Jonathan Taylor. Feed him the damn football. He's the best runner in the league. He's electric. When you have a guy like this, you don't allow the opponent to dictate how you're going to run your offense. You run your offense the way you've been running it all year long and having success and you run it right down their throats. And that's what they should have done here. I feel like John Madden. I'm jumping up on the podium. I'm saying, let's play some big time football right now. Smash mouth. And that's what they should have done in this game. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough call because, frankly, I don't think we've seen a run defense this stout in some time. I mean, these guys, and it does start with Vita Vea. That guy's like parking a Mack truck, you know, right in the middle of the, the field. And you, you just, you're not going to move him. It's not just Jonathan Taylor either. They've got one of the best running backs and one of the best offensive lines do the Indianapolis Colts in the NFL. And the fact that they, even they weren't going to run the football, you know, you go back to the big uh, Brady versus Belichick rematch from earlier this year. The Patriots only ran the ball a total of eight times that game, eight times. I mean, it just says a lot about, about how good this defense is. So I do think, you know, you still, yeah, if you're one dimensional, it's going to hurt you in the end. I think you got to do something in the run game. It's not easy, but you got to, you got to be creative. You got to come up with a plan against these guys. All I know is that 20 rush attempts for the team is not enough when you have a player like Jonathan Taylor in the lineup. And when you're running the ball 30 plus times a game, like you do with the Colts most weeks um, lately, anyways, You're also controlling the clock. You're keeping the ball out of Tom Brady's hands. And that's important here too. And I think the Colts slipped up in this one. Last game quickly. I I just want to touch on it, but uh, the Green Bay Packers and the LA Rams, the battle of the big shots in the NFC, you know, the Rams, I got to say the the Packers won this one 36 to 28. It was in Green Bay, but you know, the Rams are just not right right now. They're, they're not firing on all cylinders. And I'm not saying that it's uh, Odell Beckham Jr.'s fault, but, you know, they brought him in. They brought in Von Miller. It changes how you're going to do things. Whereas I think the Packers, when I watch them play, they know exactly what they need to do, and they are firing on all cylinders, or at least you're getting their best each and every Sunday. I don't think you're really getting that from the Rams right now. They seem out of sorts, and they got to get this thing together real fast, I think. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. 
but you know on, on the positive side the Packers winning this game at home that's a huge statement game you know that's a huge statement game to be able to beat the Rams who yeah like you said they're stumbling a little bit here but they are one of the teams that you would expect Green Bay to have to beat in the playoffs um, if, assuming they turn things around so for them to pull this out at home I think is huge however looking forward toward the playoffs the Packers lack of a, a good second option in that passing game does concern me this game you had Randall Cobb going off four catches 95 yards and a touchdown I think we need to start to see more consistent uh, second receiver factoring in like we had in this game the other thing is that two-headed monster in the backfield with Green Bay between Dylan and Aaron Jones people are starting to ask some questions about whether or not Dylan perhaps could uh, eclipse Aaron Jones just given the the freak nature of that of that guy's body. Have you seen those freaking legs the guy has? He's as stout as they come, and I mean, that's a guy you don't want to have to tackle. No, he's and he's been compared with Earl Campbell. And for any anyone who's followed the NFL for any length of time or delved into the the annals of the NFL history, knows that Earl Campbell Earl Campbell was one of the most feared running backs of all time. For that reason, he was just so thick. There's a a famous clip of him. He, he kind of spears a guy with his helmet on the play, but you know he's, his jersey's all ripped and he's just running through tackles. Uh, I'll say I like AJ Dillon. I think he's a really good running back, but I have to, I have to say I don't think he's going to be better than Aaron Jones. I think he's getting a lot of the attention right now because he's been productive, because he's been taking on a bigger role because Aaron Jones's uh, health concerns. But I don't think he'll ever be a better running back than Aaron Jones personally. I might take the uh, the the under on that one or over, depending on which way you're looking at it. I think Dylan's got a lot of potential and he's got draft capital, too. I think if I'm not mistaken, he was a second or third round pick. The kid's an angry runner. I think he's got a lot of potential. The only thing holding Dylan and Jones back at this point is each other. Uh, just having to share the load as they're doing right now. Either one of these guys, I think, could be a monster. We've already seen Jones do it. Uh, occupying the lead dog role for the last couple of years here in Green Bay. Yep, absolutely. Uh, ultimately, it's a strong backfield, and they're going to need that moving forward. Let's get into some of the major storylines. Of course, there's a lot of injuries in the NFL right now. Some of the latest injuries, Christian McCaffrey went out against the Dolphins on Sunday. Uh, his season is now over once again, which is sad for him, sad for the Panthers. Dalvin Cook went down with a separated shoulder. He's going to miss at least one or two games, if not more. Robert Woods is out for the year, uh, which is part of the reason they brought in Odell Beckham Jr. And uh, Debo Samuel also went down for the 49ers this week. Which of these injuries do you think is the biggest or going to have the biggest impact on the team? With that qualifier being the biggest, then I'm going to just eliminate the Panthers from the discussion because they're not a playoff team. So I'm looking at, you could almost say the same thing about the 49ers. I'm looking at Cook and Woods here being the two biggest impacts to their teams. I think both teams benefit from having a guy waiting in the wings who can uh, absorb a lot of the load. In the case of Dalvin Cook, you've got Alexander Madison, who has proven before this season even a couple times when Cook missed some time. He can carry that load. He's given you, uh, you know, he's not Dalvin Cook, but you know, he's given you a lot of that Dalvin Cook production in games that uh, uh, Dalvin Cook has missed. So 
that's still a huge injury, but I think Madison can overcome it. Um, and then you got Kirk Cousins there as well, who I think they might start to try to get that pass game a little bit more, uh, a little more aggressive now, maybe with Cook out. So ultimately, I think the Woods injury is bigger. And it's for that reason. I mean, I know they brought in Beckham, and they also have Van Jefferson, who's been there now, I guess, for a couple seasons. But Robert Woods is a really tough guy to replace. And, and, you know, the chemistry that was built for this first, you know, 11, 12 games, whatever it was that they played together in the offseason leading up to that, it's going to be really hard for a guy like Beckham to come in and get up to speed, get on the same page with the quarterback. I think he's going to have to start eating some breakfast with uh, Matt Stafford, like Cooper Cup there, uh, to quickly acclimate to the system and become a factor. But I think in the short term, that that's the injury that I'm looking at that impacts the teams the most. Yeah, I think Robert Woods is, you know, his whole career he's been underrated. And I think it would be easy to underrate the impact of, of his loss on the L.A. Rams right now because he and Cooper Cup were such a great combination. And I know Matt Stafford loves Cooper Cup. Uh, and you mentioned they brought in Beckham. That's great. But Stafford still doesn't really have a chemistry with Beckham yet. Van Jefferson has shown flashes, but uh, I, I would question whether he can step up to take that secondary role uh, like Woods. And at the end of the day, you know, when the playoffs are on the line or as they get into playoffs, teams are going to start to focus in a little bit more on Cooper Cup and say, okay, we're not going to let you beat us with this guy. They're going to take him out of the game. And then it's going to be down to Stafford and the, and the, and the rest of the supporting cast to show teams that they can beat them another way. And the way they're playing right now without Robert Woods, you know, I wouldn't necessarily bank on them passing the grade there. I would probably say Debo Samuel if he was going to be confirmed out for a long period of time because, believe it or not, the 49ers are now sixth in the NFC, so they're in a wild card spot right now. And he has been unquestionably their MVP this year, probably one of the best, along with Cooper Cup, one of the best skill players uh, in the entire NFL, I mean, every single game, this guy is scoring touchdowns, putting up huge numbers for them. Just so consistent. His rack yards, you know, run after the catch are just massive. He's one of the best, if not the best in the NFL at that. So if he was out long term, I would say him first. But because he's probably going to only miss a short amount of time, I'm, I'm going to agree. I'm going to go with Woods. Yeah, and that's a good point. And the Debo injury is huge because he's not only been playing wide receiver, but he's also been playing this sort of hybrid running back role, and he's been really effective in that role, scoring a bunch of rushing touchdowns and uh, ripping off some long runs in the backfield. Um, so that loss is gigantic. The only thing there is they also have Ayuk now, who's been underutilized here so far to this point in the season. He's starting to come on a little bit. I'd look for Ayuk to step up and start to absorb some of those targets and some of those carries, maybe even that uh, you were seeing Debo get leading up to this point. And we know he's got the talent. We saw what he did last year. All right. Before we move into fantasy, because I know we got a lot to talk about there, I want to give you a final word on Pete Carroll. You know, you're our resident Seattle Seahawks fan. Of course, they lost another one on Monday Night Football this week against the Washington football team. Their season is effectively over. They're second from the bottom in the NFC. Only the Lions below them. Uh, a lot has been said about Carroll and this team. So I want now that you're on the pod again, I want to give you the opportunity. What are your thoughts around Pete Carroll and the direction of the Seahawks franchise right now? Well, this is a tough one. And let me just preface this by saying that I have a lot of respect and admiration for Pete Carroll, the man. I think he is a he's a good coach and he's um, a good man. You know, he's always positive. He's always a... Uh, 
for his team. He's for his players. He's a very player-friendly coach. I think he's the type of guy who's easy to build a relationship with. And um, so that side of things, I mean, he's exactly the type of character individual that I would want as a coach. However, he's entering the twilight of his career. And one of my worries is the game has changed so much. And has Pete Carroll stayed up to date with the way the game's evolved? And I would say no. And, you know, you look around the league at some of the coaches out there. You got a lot of guys coming in with new ideas, great schemes. Shanahan, you got uh, McVeigh, you've got Kingsbury. Oh, that's depressing. They're all in our own division. <laughs> so, you, you know, you look around the league and that's the trend right now. It's the game is changing and we need to adapt. We need to change with it. And I don't think that Pete Carroll's the guy that's going to do that. I think he's going to keep doing a lot more of what he's been doing to this point. And these aren't the days of the Legion of Boom. We don't have that great defense that can allow you to just run the ball 25 times and uh, let Russell Wilson make the game winning play in the fourth quarter. We need some new ideas. We don't even know whether Russell Wilson's going to be back next year. I think we need to start looking toward the future, looking at bringing somebody in who's going to make decisions that are going to be lasting. Ten-year decisions, five-year decisions at least. And I don't think you want Pete Carroll making those decisions because I don't think he'll be around coaching that team that long. Yeah, I appreciate uh, your thoughts on that. And I, I respect Carroll too, but I think he makes some good points there. You know, watching that game on Monday night, yeah, I just could not believe the lack of involvement from DK Metcalf. You know, this this guy's their best player. They need the offense. They're they're hurt in the backfield. They need to pass the ball and they need to find a way to get the ball to their top guy. And and Metcalf is that guy. And I think it was Lewis Riddick. And I'm I'm I want to give him a quick shout out here because I think Lewis Riddick is one of the best analysts that you'll see out there right now. In the, he's in the Monday Night Football booth. If you want to listen to a guy and his his analysis, uh, whether it's in-game or out-of-game during the week, listen to Lewis Riddick. But he said, you know, he made a good point. He said, you know, Devontae Adams is double-teamed every game because everybody knows he's going to get the ball and everyone knows he's the primary guy in Green Bay. But they still find ways to get him the ball. And it's not like Seattle doesn't have a great quarterback. Russell Wilson is a great quarterback. But – they can't seem to get Metcalf the ball. And I just don't understand. I went to check, actually, to see if Metcalf was in a contract year to see if they were trying to lower his value uh, to re-sign him. But it's not even that. So, you know, I'm out of ideas here. It seems like the Seattle coaching staff is out of ideas. And uh, I'd have to agree. I think it's probably time for a change there. But I appreciate your thoughts on that. Okay, let's move to fantasy. And, uh, you know, we're plugging along, you and I. Of course, we're in three leagues together now and uh the three very different leagues one's total redraft the other is a an auction keeper league and then the third is a dynasty league which we just got into this year i know that we're competitive and actually we're facing off this week in in your pool the legion of boom so let me throw it back over to you what are what are your thoughts coming into this week and uh and how your teams are doing in general well you know it's it's a, it's an interesting season you know they say you can't win your your league on draft day and I'm a big believer of that I think that in-game season management of your fantasy team is as important as the draft you know I think you've told me there's three components before pretty sure you you have a quote and I'm interested to hear you say that later but I think the in-season component is an area that you and I have excelled in in the last couple of years and 
there's a reason it's the same, you know, group of guys that are always, you know, near the podium, let's say. I think in your case, you've been on the podium every year, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, I'm terrified to face Pete anytime I have to face Pete. It's, it's always a week I'm going and expecting to lose. You know, that's just how it goes. But uh, we're going to we're gonna try our absolute best this week. Maybe we'll squeak out the W and uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, no reverse jinxing on this podcast, okay? <laughs> it's going to be tough. I'll tell you what, I've had some bad luck in your pool this year. Thankfully, my team has overcome it for the most part. And I was doing the math today. And even if I lose to you this week and then again in my final week, I think I'm still good to make the playoffs because of my points for it would it would have to be something crazy. Like there's one guy that would have to win his last two games. I would have to lose my two and he would have to outscore me by 60 points each week uh, for me to miss the playoffs. So I hope you have a solid piece of wood that you're knocking on as you're making these comments. <laughs> <laughs> that brings me to, you know, what is this time of season? Well, hopefully your team is still in it. Hopefully you're competitive, whether you're in first, you're in sixth, or even if you're in eighth and just barely holding on to a playoff spot or maybe just outside the playoff based on uh, how your pool is set up. But this is really a time of preparation, if, if, if you can afford it anyway, to get your team ready for the playoffs. And I think one of the best ways to do that is to secure your handcuffs, if that's possible. Because at this stage of the game, if you get a guy that goes down with injury, the way the teams have gone, everyone's picking up guys. If your handcuffs are still out there on the waiver wire, it really doesn't even matter who they are, you know, if they're a nobody. If they're the next guy in line and they haven't even seen a snap this year, this is the time of the year when you want to make sure you get them because if your guy goes down with an injury, you've got to be able to plug somebody else in there. You can't afford to be left out when it's playoffs on the line, baby. Absolutely. You know, you're preaching to the converted over here, and it, it's exactly the point I was going to make, and we didn't even talk about this before the show here. <laughs> but, but that's exactly what you want to do. I mean, and whether you're adding your own backup or whether you're adding somebody else's backup, it's really the same thing. Um, the point is you want to look for those guys who are the high-end backups because when they hit, they are monstrous league-winning uh, type of place you know we've seen madison this year fill in for cook a couple times and score 25 plus fantasy points we've seen hubbard do it in carolina covering for mccaffrey we've seen aj Dillon fill in for aaron jones when these guys hit they're huge so why do i want to keep the fifth receiver on the bench why do i need a fifth receiver when i could have a bench full of running backs as we head toward the playoffs here and maybe I cash in on a lottery ticket. And I'll say this just, to, you know, because I want to give something to the, the fantasy players out there. And I can, I feel safe saying this because I was able to nab this guy in all three pools already. Okay. I know who you're going to say because I was looking at the waiver wire this morning. <laughs> and I was like, okay, who's got this player here? Oh, it's Pete. And then I went to the other league and I said, okay, who's got this player there? Oh, it's friggin' Pete again. <laughs> <laughs> I got him in all three. And I, I, I picked him up last week is Dontrell Hilliard, the running back for the Tennessee Titans. He has really hit the scene. You know, as soon as they uh, released Adrian Peterson, I was like, what the heck's going on there? And uh, I looked and I, I saw his stat line and, and I was like, oh, man, look at that. And uh, so I just went for him in all the pools. But if he's out there in your pool, pick this guy up. Not only is he running the ball well, but he's also catching passes. It doesn't matter that he's on a bye week this week. Don't worry about it. Just get him on your team and get him down the stretch because he's one of those guys that could be a huge contributor for your team down the stretch. Absolutely. I mean, and that is 
that is what you want to do, right? You made a savvy play there. You beat the waiver wire. You picked a guy up before the buzz started. And now instead of blowing your fab budget or spending your number, number one waiver wire pick, you got a guy for nothing. And the power of that is it just that's what wins championships. It's huge. And, uh, you know, I've been quite fortunate. I, I feel like I've been unlucky in your pool this year, but I've been very lucky in Joe's pool this year. I've got a great record, but, you know, my points for and my points against show that my team is really a middle of the road team. And uh, we'll see how things are going to play out there. But it's exciting stuff as we get also to the end of the year. Uh, also, of course, there are some guys that uh, unfortunately are out of contention already. And I know you've got a lot to say on kind of the ethics of a, of a fantasy football pool and, and how you should go about things in different situations. What do you want to share with our listeners today? Yeah, so I have very strong beliefs on the subject. I, I'm a firm believer that if you are out of the playoff picture, and when I say out of the playoff picture, I, do, I mean truly mathematically eliminated. There's no chance for you to make the playoffs. Then you have no business putting in a waiver claim. You should leave those waiver players to the teams that are still uh, contending for the championship. I'm not saying you don't set a roster. You want to pick a guy up on a Wednesday or a Thursday to set a full roster heading into the week. That's perfectly fine. But you don't go out and put a claim in for Dontrell Hilliard right now. You, you leave that to the guys who are actually contending for the championship. Yeah, 100% agree with you. And, of course, it varies within the pools. You know, if you're in a dynasty league where these things carry over from year to year, then by all means, you should be working the wire no matter where you are in the standings. But in, we're talking redraft leagues when you're mathematically eliminated. Even if you need to fill out your roster, to and and I think that's something that you should do even though you're out of contention, you at least want to field a competitive team to keep the pool, uh, the pool's integrity is the word I like to use a lot, uh, to keep the integrity of the pool up. But you can always wait till after the waiver wire is passed to pick up guys. There's always going to be someone you can plug and play. Uh, it might not be the the hot take or the hot the waiver ad for the week. But yeah, I, I agree. Leave that waiver if you're completely out of the picture and uh, and then go about your business after the fact. Absolutely. All right. Well, we've got some great games coming up in week 13. Uh, and Eric, uh, thank you once again for being on. I'm sure we'll talk about these ones, Washington versus Vegas, playoff implications in that one. Same with Baltimore Steelers, another big AFC North playoff battle there. And the Denver Broncos against the Kansas City Chiefs, that should be a good one too. You look at the standings, you wouldn't believe that the Denver Broncos are right there with the Chiefs. Who knows? Maybe they can pull the upset. We'll see. But thanks so much for being on with me again, Eric. I'm already looking forward to next week. Hey, man, I love coming on the show and everybody listening. Enjoy week 13. Hopefully you're uh, headed to the glory land of fantasy football uh, playoffs and on your way to championships. And go pick up Dontrell Hilliard, like Pete says, and go win yourself a championship. All right, that's going to do it for us. We're leaving on a high. Until next time, take it easy.